weekday on SAFM, the best of SAFM. Kirsten, Director and Spokesperson at Gun Free SA. Adele, good morning. Thank you for your time. Uh, good morning, Stephen, and hello to your listeners. How big a role do guns play in our high murder rate? And we've already heard uh, from David Bruce that they play different roles or different level of roles in different provinces. If we look at the latest uh, national crime stats, uh, guns are the leading cause of death in murder um, at 35% of all murders. Um, with knives coming in at 21%. So guns play a significant role uh, in murders in our country. And we've seen in the past, uh, when we reduced access to guns, we came to some of the best kind of levels, both of gun-related murder and homicide overall. So those two trends and rates track each other. Um, We're in in round about 2010-11, which was, some of our best rates where we were just under 30 um, per 100,000 murder rate. And we've seen this really steady increase of both gun-related murders uh, and homicide overall. Okay, so in other words, there really is a big correlation between the number of guns in society and the number of murders in society. Yes, that's what the evidence shows both in this country and globally is, and in fact, Uh, an organization like the World Health Organization, um, which obviously does, you know, mega global studies and meta-analysis, is that two of the biggest drivers of violence uh, and uh, then uh, resulting in murder is uh, easy access to guns um, and chronic sort of alcohol and, and drug abuse. And we've seen some interesting kind of patterns and shifts in that in South Africa during COVID-19 uh, lockdown. How easy is it to get a gun now? I mean, there have been times when it's been incredibly easy. I mean, when I turned 16, I was able to have, uh, there was space on my ID document for four, four firearms. I mean, it's changed now, but how difficult is it now to get a gun? It's changed significantly, and the Firearms Control Act of 2000, uh, once it was being implemented, where I, I guess essentially it, it uh, included the three key principles of good gun laws, which is that you regulate the owner, so you increase, you raise the bar significantly. Uh, the law limits the number of guns any one person can own and also the type of gun. And then, of course, there's the circumstances for which you can own a gun. Um, and when we saw what, what was essentially a reduction in easy access to weapons through the implementation of a stricter and uh, gun rule, we, this is when we saw over this 10-year period from 2000 to 2010. Uh, and then we see, and I mean, all the ISS, the IRR, everyone says from 2011, uh, we see the steady increase in all, all kinds of crime, but in particular, we see the steady increase in murder. And that's when one begins to see problems in the issuing of licenses, massive fraud and corruption, leakage from state armory, uh, and also increase in, in uh, loss and theft from civilian owners. So, so although there's a good gun law, which, which had a major impact over 10 years, almost reduced gun deaths by 50%, the poor enforcement of the law and fraud and corruption are two of the key uh, issues that are driving up uh, gun violence. And given, I mean, I think everyone this morning has talked about issues of 
inequality and poverty. I, I think the poverty issue is complex. I don't think there's clear evidence that poverty is linked to high levels of violence. It's much more about inequality and, and including gender inequality. Um, and we've seen how important, how high the stakes are when it comes to gun licenses and selling gun licenses. I mean, the murder of Charles Kinnear in Cape Town, the anti-gang unit commander, mm-hmm. I mean, that seemed to be linked to this. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a massive case. And, I'm, I'm, you know, we've just seen over the last couple of weeks senior police officers being arrested. Um, so there really are severe weaknesses. Um, in the whole firearms control management chain. And I think the issue is that with something like weapons, it's a commodity. Uh, it's a commodity that has a lot of value at a range of levels, not just financial. And so one must expect some kind of fraud somewhere along the, uh, along the chain. And that's why it's absolutely critical to have a watertight system where you reduce the risk for this. And we don't have that at the moment. Uh, of course, there is, as we know, an illegal trade in guns. I mean, where they, guns just haven't been licensed. They come in from wherever. They may still be around from our past. I mean, that's impossible to regulate, impossible to stop. How do we deal with that? Do we just have very stiff sanctions if people are found with illegal guns in their possession, you know, 10 years in jail or something? Well, we have the sanction 15 years for possession of illegal weapons uh, under the Firearms Control Act. Point is, has anyone ever got the maximum? Um, so you have to work what we call upstream. You have to follow the evidence and say where the majority of guns are always legally uh, produced and manufactured, unlike in the drug trade. So you have to go upstream and say, where are the guns coming from? And the evidence is clear. There are really three key sources. One is through fraud and corruption. So, for example, currently in the Central Firearms Registry and this issue linked to the Kinnear uh, investigation is that you are, have people who are not necessarily fit and proper, but who are sitting with licensed weapons. Uh, and so in a sense, we don't know the nature and extent of who actually has what weapon for which purpose. So that's one source. But the other source is uh, loss and theft from civilian gun owners. So 90% of gun owners in South Africa are civilians. Um, and the majority of guns are handguns, which, of course, are the weapon of choice for criminals. And by civilians, I include the, the private security industry. And we have something like 25 guns being lost or stolen every single day. So that's the most significant mechanism through which guns move from the legal into the illegal. Uh, and then the third is obviously cross-border trafficking. Uh, but I think contrary to common perception, more guns are being smuggled uh, out of SA than coming in from our neighbours. But again, handguns are the weapon of choices, the weapon that's been trafficked um, and including in fraud and corruption. So that you have to go upstream, you have to close the tap, which means you have to control your legal stocks. Adele Kirsten, thanks very much indeed. Director Spokesperson at Gun Free SA. Do appreciate the time. My thanks also to David Bruce, Consultant, Independent Researcher on Policing, Crime and uh, Safety. And uh, starting us off today, Duane Essau from the Institute for Race Relations. You're listening to the best of SAFM, giving you a snapshot of what you missed.
It's 4.41. You're listening to SAFM 104.2107 Nationwide. This is Kenny Latimore with uh, Come To Me. So we're going to talk to uh, Ricky Sugar Shabalala, the professional boxer and fitness trainer, about uh, breathing techniques in exercise and also fitness versus movement. What does the science show in terms of what makes for quality training in a short while? Obviously, different people will eat in different ways, but I don't think it can be denied that a potato is an important crop in South Africa. The price of potatoes at retail level, a 10 kg of potatoes increased between September and October by 13 rand and now standing on average across the three cities at 80 rand and 53 cents. When a potato increases and people with fixed household income, then of course they have to drop something else out of the basket and that's where the problem of undernutrition arises. Mervyn Abraham, Programme Director at the Peter Marisberg Economic Justice and Dignity Project. Project. The tried and tested wake-up option. SAFM Sunrise, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. Stay safe on the roads. SAFM is with you. Welcome back. It's uh, 4.42 on SFM. You're listening to uh, Sound, uh, Sound Awake. I'm Komoto Keiji Mweketi in for Mandla Shonga today. It's time for us to talk health and fitness. And Ricky Sugar Shabalala is a professional boxer and a fitness trainer. And uh, he is at the Linbro Fitness Park. We're talking uh, breathing techniques. Good morning. Uh, do I call you Sugar? Hey. Katie, how are you doing? Morning, morning, I'm morning, good. I'm, I'm feeling a bit awkward about calling you sugar at this time of the morning. But listen... Hey, everyone calls me that. Don't feel awkward. Okay, <laughs> let's talk breathing techniques in exercise. What What mm-hmm. do you mean when you say breathing techniques? Breathing techniques. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So um, you can make this quite complicated and you can make it quite simple. Okay, but... Uh, it is quite simple, you know, and it's something that, for me, it took a very long time to master. I've been, um, as you introduced me as a professional fighter, I've been boxing for a good 12 years now. And it's funny, only after about 10 years did I actually understand what breathing was. So it's something that is very simple, but can go over your head if you don't, you know, really have a, a grip on it. Mm-hmm. Now, the way I like to explain it to my clients and, you know, people who I'm training is uh, usually how I find, and even yesterday, you know, I was training two ladies, and uh, they were holding their breath with every single punch that they were throwing. And I could tell because afterwards, you know, you <laughs> gasp out, you know, and uh, you've kind of, you, 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 you've done this intense exercise and you're gasping for air right after you've thrown these, these explosive uh, uh, punches. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole idea is making sure that there's a cycle of oxygen while you're doing this movement. And okay. um, that way your lungs and organs and everything can, you know, just perform correctly while you, you know, doing these intense uh, exercises. Okay. So this cycle, you know, does it matter what kind of exercise you do? For example, I'm a runner, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. so, I mean, is there like a general breathing technique for everybody or is it specific to the type of exercise that you do? It's pretty, look, it's definitely specific to the type of exercise because the type of exercise varies. You're a runner, but I don't know if you're a long-distance runner or a sprinter. I'm a long-distance runner. I'm a long-distance runner. 100%. And usually I find when I'm doing long-distance running, I'll breathe in rhythm. So I'll, I'll listen to something that's in a rhythm, maybe my footsteps or, 
if I'm listening to music or whatever, and, you know, I'll count in a rhythm and I'll breathe on that rhythm as well. So mm-hmm. maybe one, two, three, one, two, three. And uh, the idea with that is just continuing that, like I said, that continuous cycle of, uh, you know, oxygen circulation throughout the body. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in a more high intensity, like a sprinting or maybe even a quick combination in boxing, then it's making sure that you're breathing with every explosive movement. Mm. Um, breathing out because mm. naturally the body is going to take air in, you know. So the whole idea is to really just breathe out as often as you can and naturally your body's going to breathe in for air. So if you can remember to breathe out, you will be fine generally no matter what type of, you know, sport or exercise you do. So what are generally then the benefits of getting that breathing right? Uh, mm-hmm. Does that mean if I get the breathing right, I will yeah. have more stamina? Uh, what, what, oh. Why do we have to get our breathing right? Oh, yes, in a big, big, big way. Um, it, there's so much that you can uh, really benefit from getting a breathing right. And the main keys I found definitely was the stamina. Um, you know, I went from zero to 100. I was wondering why is it that I'm getting so tired in these fights, mm. but I'm training for ages, ages, ages. And the difference is in your training, in your gym, you're a lot more comfortable and, you know, calm. There's no crowd there. There's no one cheering you on. Mm. Whereas you go to the fight and there's a lot more at stake. Your opponent's there. You know, your family's screaming for you. So you find yourself tensing up a lot more. Um, that means holding your breath as well. And... Uh, not just being as loose and as free as you were in training. So, again, you're going to be gasping when you shouldn't be mm. and uh, holding your breath tight. And, uh, you know, when you do eventually gasp, um, you know, it could be at the wrong time where you, 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 you're delivering or taking a shot as well. Mm. And that, you know, imbalance in rhythm can really throw you off. Um, and you won't know why because at the same time there's so many things happening yeah. that, uh, you know, your breathing is like the last thing you're thinking about. Okay, so Sugar, then, you know, you're a boxer. You, you, you say you've been professionally boxing for about mm-hmm. uh, 12 years. There's this yes, major yes. inhale that you guys do before a fight. Why? The inhaling before a fight, look, this not, it's, not, it's not everybody, and it's definitely not recommended. I think it was a very old-school technique that was used back in the day. I'm talking you know, Ali days and even, you know, even long before that, you know. Mm. And the whole idea of, uh, with the, the whole smelling salts thing, if that's what, you, if that's what you're referring to, is um, when guys were hurt or knocked out or lost their concentration, they'd have these smelling salts to breathe in between rounds and it'll kind of give them a kick to wake up, you know, almost mm. like a boost. But um, obviously not good between a fight, uh, especially not for, you know, um, just your your body in general, you know, it's not it's not healthy to be uh, inhaling such things mm. throughout the fight. I believe, and uh, yeah, it's it's something I've heard people do, and some people still even do. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's quite fine. Upon <laughs> so that let's let's shift gear now and talk fitness yes. versus movement. Um, yes. You know, uh, because uh, apparently science is showing, uh, you know, uh, fitness versus movement. There's a science that shows uh, quality training matters. When we say quality yes. training, what do we mean? Because you know, there was a time when the, we were told that just do 30 minutes of anything three times a week, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. But but you know, over the years, it's it's you know, a lot of people have been more specific about the kinds of exercises we need to do so when we say quality training what do we mean 
quality training. Yeah, it's a very good topic, uh, KG. So the idea is whatever you're doing, you just need to do effectively. Um, you can use this uh, different examples. For example, if you, you will use in your world, if you're running and mm-hmm. jogging and uh, you're kind of doing half strides, Mm-hmm. then there's a certain level of fitness you're going to get out of that yeah. after you're done. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're doing full strides and, uh, you know, maybe a better example is if you are running on your toes, you're going to definitely work your calves a lot more, mm-hmm. um, which means that later on, if, uh, you know, you were to use those in a, in a circumstance, let's say in the boxing ring, your calves and legs will be a lot more conditioned than the person who's been running on their heels for the whole time. Yeah. So the technique changes it's a lot harder to change a technique because it requires more of you maybe mental thoughts or even a physical change but the results at the end are going to be a lot better Hmm. so i mean they say there's this movement guided fitness being superior to sort of traditional uh, approaches uh it still sounds very scientific to me do you want to talk to that (laughs) um it is very scientific but at the end of the day, you know, science is what's driving a lot of the uh, advances in sports these days. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's what's taking people from, you know, just like you say, that old caveman training to where it's more effective and efficient now. Yeah. Um, we don't have to go and run thousands of hours. You know, now we do it more effectively. Yeah. Um, you know, you make sure that you're, you, you, you know, you make sure that you're doing it at a certain pace. Mm-hmm. And so will you get the same workout than if you were doing it long and slow. Yeah. Um, you know, damage, damaging the knees over time. So, yeah, definitely um, the science that comes in, as well as sciences are questionable, but mm-hmm. uh, I do believe the movements along with your fitness uh, and performing those movements correctly, I do believe you'll get a lot more out of that than if you just do it, um, you know, um, in any way you please. So it sounds to me like uh, it is necessary for us now, as opposed to before, mm-hmm. to come to yeah. people like yourselves um, who are trainers, who will be able to assess our body types, uh, you sure. know, uh, the, the, our, sure. our, our, our body shapes to say, this is the most effective sort of type of exercise yeah. that you need uh-huh. to do for the results that you desire or even the kind of body that that you have for it to perform at its maximum capacity? 100%. 100%. And you'll find that in the gym. Um, you know, a lot of the time, whether you be professional athletes or whether you be just a beginner, anyone coming through to, you know, work with like a personal trainer uh, like me, you're definitely going to get assessed like that. You're going to see what type of movements you're able to do, first of all, and then work them around whatever your particular goal might be. Um, so, yes, you do definitely you do definitely need that. And by getting that assessment, you'll be able to effectively just get there a lot quicker um, rather than doing roundabout things that might injure you, hurt you. And I find a lot in my camp where my coach is literally guiding me all the time. And I've been training for years now. Mm. So uh, it, it really does help. It's very effective over time. And that's why we pay, you know, coaches to make sure that, uh, you know, they're fixing all those mistakes we can't see. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, whether you're talking to the pros or the non-pros yeah. or, you know, yeah. the, the ones that are starting in exercise uh-huh. or the ones that have been uh, in it for a while, what would your sure. greatest tip be to somebody uh, uh, about issues of health and, and, and fitness from the standpoint of yourself as a boxer and trainer? Issues. Um, 
how uh, like issues as in tips things as in what would your ti- what would your greatest tip be uh you know i mean yeah. i'm going for a run at six for for example just now uh-huh. uh what what would your tip be uh to anybody who's starting who's established what shouldn't yeah. we forget oh definitely i think um you you should yeah i think you shouldn't forget that you know just starting just starting is important you know mm. for people who are kind of getting into it Let's just start and let's start slowly, Mm. you know. As we grow, so will we build and we'll hit walls and eventually we'll start doing the same thing for a while. That's when you get to your intermediate stage. I think then you need to start doing a little bit more research. Um, You know, the internet's available to a lot of people Mm. and help yourself grow from there. Um, If you're not able, do do yourself a favor, join a gym and find out from someone who's done it for a while how you can then increase and build from there and take your stamina to the next level same with professionals and so on and so forth, you know. Um, and at that same time, on the breathing topic, make sure you breathe, you know. Make sure you mm. consider that. Think mm. about it a lot and, uh, you know, implement that in anything you're going to go do. Just do a little bit of research and find out how you can do it to your best capability. Fantastic. This was great, even for me. Uh, so thank <laughs> you so much. Have a lovely day. What training are you doing today? Um, myself, I'm doing, I'll be training my clients in the boxing and then myself, I'll be going to the gym We'll be doing bag work, some strength and conditioning, you know, a lot of weights and things like that. So, yeah, I'm preparing for a, a potential bounce in the in the future. So making sure to get in my two or three times a day training as of now. Wow. Have a lovely day. Listen, you're quite Thanks. inspiring. Thank you, Sugar. You too. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate the chat. Uh. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ricky Sugar Shabalala is a professional boxer and fitness trainer. Uh, lots of uh, tips we all got there, uh, particularly in relation to breathing and, uh, you know, quality versus quantity exercise. It's 5 to 5, believe it or not. SFM, playing your music.